Good to be back. Hey, thank you guys. Man, um, have you noticed we've got a lot more announcements because we've got more churches, which um, thank you for suffering through it. But um, it's, we're, we've kind of become the hub for that communication for everyone. But there's one thing, listen, it's Mother's Day, so moms, thank you so much. But here's the cool thing. We have a new mom in our congregation. Pastor Karen had her child last week. Yeah. His name is Carson, and so Karen, hey, we just were praying for you and Casey and Carson now. We're so excited for you all. We've got to see some pictures, and he is just beautiful. It's a beautiful family. So we're just celebrating with you today because this is the first time she gets to go through Mother's Day for the reels. So that's pretty exciting, huh? That's great. We're in week 10 of our series called Christian. There's two more weeks after this. And then we're moving into, we always have a campus day in between where all the campuses do something different. And then we have a new series which will be called Pause, which we're going to be talking about what it means to Sabbath. And I'm excited about that. We've been writing the series guides for that. And I think that's going to be really great. But today, as we're talking through what it means to be a Christian and kind of trying to reimagine what our Christianity is and not allowing the forces of this world to be shifting and shaping and molding that concept of Christianity. That's what we're doing in this series. If you haven't figured it out yet, I haven't been, I haven't been very good at teaching, but that's what we're trying to do. One of the things we have to deal with is prayer. So we have to ask the question, what is prayer? Right? That's the first question that we have to ask. And we often don't understand what it is because we use it often like a magic wand or a wish list or a list of demands as we hold our souls hostage from God. But let me just give you this premise right now. Prayer is not magic. All right? Some of us use it as it is, but it's not an incantation that gets us what we want, that gives us power or forces God's hand. It is not for getting us what we want. Although there are times when we read scripture and it feels like that, right? Let's look at John, 1 John 5.15. Now I'm reading from the New Living Translation, which we always um, read from here at Crosswalk. So if you're at home and you want to check it out, that's what we read from. And if you notice, we don't have our chair Bibles anymore, and that's a COVID restriction kind of thing. So hopefully they'll come back, but we'll put it on the screen. You'll see it. And it says this, and since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Which seems pretty simple, right? He, he hears and he obeys. I mean, isn't that what the text says? It's what it sounds like it says. But maybe we should back up a little bit and see what the previous text says. The previous text, 1 John 5, 14 says, And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Wait a second, that seems like a little bit of a qualification. Now it's not just anything that we ask. Now it's something that pleases him. Okay, that's a little bit different. If if you think about it that way, then you think about it's not just the request that we make, but it's the request that we make in him knowing that that's what he wants. But let's back up one more, shall we? Just one more. It says this in 1 John 5, 13. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. Now, this is a bigger qualification, all right? Because all of a sudden, what we're understanding is this, and the book of 1 John 
is a book that gives us an incredible assurance of salvation, right? God has given us eternal life. So he says, I've written all of this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, not that you may guess, not that you may hope, not that you may plead, not that you may, may wonder, but that you may know. Now this is pretty important because this creates a sense of assurity, but that creates, that assurity creates a sense of boldness to go before the throne of grace and communicate with God because what prayer is, is communication with a God who loves us. And the reason why we communicate with the God who loves us is because we have assurance that we have been saved through the work that Jesus did on the cross, through the grave, and through resurrection. Now we understand that, and so we live differently, and we communicate with God differently. Because when you know someone, and you know someone is for you, your conversations change a little bit. I love what John Stott says about this. He says, prayer is not a convenient device for imposing our will on God or for bending his will to ours. But the prescribed way of subordinating our will to his, it is by prayer that we seek God's will, embrace it and align ourselves with it. Every true prayer is a variation of the theme, your will be done. And it's interesting, we used to have a church member who was here every week, and he, some of you know him, um, Dr. Larry Thomas, and I haven't quoted Stott since he passed away a few months ago. And if you know Dr. Larry Thomas, he was not just a guy who, who loved preaching. He loved preaching and he would come and talk to me about it. And every preacher in this area knows, knew Dr. Thomas because he would come and sit and go through sermons and this and thing. But he was a close personal friend of John Stott. So I can't quote John Stott without thinking of Dr. Larry Thomas, someone who did amazing humanitarian work all throughout the world. So I'm just thinking about him today. Every true prayer is a variation of the theme, your will be done. There's a humility in which we approach God. Because while prayer reminds us of the assurance we have of God's salvation, it reminds us that we can approach God because of this, but it also reminds us that we do it in gratitude and not in our will, but His will. Prayer reminds us of our submission to God. And there are certain ways that that is prescribed. Now, I've, I had a, had a professor in my doctoral program, uh, Dr. Lynn Sweet, and we went to his house for an advance, he called it. He didn't like to call them retreats because he was like, no, we're not retreating from anything. We're advancing towards something. He liked to play with words a lot. He had this beautiful house on Orcas Island overlooking the sound, just gorgeous. You would see whales going. He actually had um, bald eagle nests on these big columns out by his deck. Like, it was an amazing place. And um, he, everything he had in his house meant something. So you'd be like, oh, what's that little, you know, golden figurine? And he'd be like, oh, well, I got this. And he'd tell the story behind it. And he's a storyteller. It was amazing. But he said, I want to show you my office where I write. And he writes tons of books. And so he went to this little, it kind of felt like this, like, small little it didn't feel like a door, although it was. Anyway, he opens it up, and it's a door for smaller kinds of people. And he said, I want you to come in. And so as I walked in, I had to, I had to 
kind of bow down a little bit. But then I couldn't just do that because it was actually up two steps, so you had to like bow down and step up. It was super uncomfortable. And as I did that, I was like, hey, Lynn, and he's a big guy like me. I was like, Lynn, this is not, this is not super comfortable. And he goes, no, it's prescribed that way. It's prescribed so that when you are going to go study, and for him it was studying scripture. He said, when you're going to go study scripture, you have, to, you have to humble yourself to go through the door, knowing that it's going to lift you up as you walk through. Man, that is way too much to think about. Any time I want to go to my office and look at my computer, like I'm just checking email, man. But, but yeah, prayer does that. Why? Because our access to God through prayer should remind us of the incredible grace that he has given us. And that grace is unwarranted, it's unfounded, and is nothing but a gift. It's important for us to remember that. And he grants us access. God made this brand promise, right? If God was a brand, his brand promise would be access. We have access to God. I have a friend who worked in the entertainment industry. He's a lawyer. And when he first got to Hollywood, he really didn't have much to offer people. Let's just say that. But he was bold. And he would call studio heads. And every once in a while, he would get to one. Every once in a while, he'd call, find a number and he'd call it. And he, he said, one time I called the head of NBC. I just, and he picked up the phone. And I said, hi, my name is so-and-so. And the guy said, hey, how are you doing? And he said, I'd like to take you to lunch. And he said, well, who are you? And he said, well, I'm nobody. I'm just working here as a PA in Hollywood. But I want to get to know the industry. Can I take you to lunch? The head of NBC said, yeah, sure. Where do you want to go? <laughs> uh, how about next Tuesday? Sounds good. Where do you want to go? Uh, how about this restaurant? Sounds good. I'll meet you there. 1230. Click. He said he had a week of just nothing but fear, waiting to talk to the studio head, knowing, A, he had nothing to offer him except a free lunch, which he didn't need. He had nothing to pitch him. He didn't have a show he was going to pitch or anything like that. But he had just been granted access to something he never should have had access to. And he said, I lived my life differently that week because I lived my life in gratitude and also in super intentionality, figuring out exactly what I was going to say and how I was going to live and how I was going to look and function. And when I walked in the restaurant, he said it was a great thing. They're actually still, they still communicate to this day. God has made us the brand promise of access. Not everybody does that. We, you know, people don't want anyone to have that much access to them. If you've ever read a book by Bob Goff, who's a Christian author and he's great, he's funny, if you've ever heard him, you know he puts his own cell phone number at the end of each book. That's access. I'm not giving you people my cell phone number. I love you in Jesus, but I don't want you calling me all the time. Right? God has given us access. And you wonder, like, why, why does God allow it? Because truth is, that's a pretty strange model. Most models of faith, most models of religion include either idols that represent something so you don't get to that thing, or holy people who stand in the way of you and that divinity. But God didn't do that. And why didn't he do that? I think there's at least three reasons. Number one, God loves community. 
God actually loves you to be close to him. He loves intimate community. We know this because of the Trinity, right? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons unified. That is a perfect model for community. It's the model for us as Christians. That kind of access, that kind of communication, that kind of 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 two-way street. God loves community. That's why he has given us that promise of access. The second reason why is because God is not afraid of your questions. Have you ever been so angry that you just want to shout questions at God and then you think, well, I probably shouldn't do that? I would argue you should. I would say that no matter what question you have, no matter what, what trouble you're going through, no matter what no matter how you want to communicate with God, you should. Because God's not afraid of your questions, and he's certainly not afraid of the way that you ask him. Because there's nothing that you're going to ask God that he hasn't thought of and he hasn't experienced before. Right? He encourages that kind of access. He encourages that kind of communication. His answers may not be what you want to hear. But he's given us that kind of opportunity to communicate with him. And I think the third reason is simply this. God wants to be closer to you. He knows that relationships need communication and that without that, we're just worshiping an idea rather than a person. Now, I want to make that pretty clear. If you are not communicating with God regularly, if you are not praying and listening, praying and listening, those two things go together. You know that, right? Sometimes you got to stop talking for a little while and pray with silence so you can hear God speak to you. You know that? And sometimes you need to go through your life curating silence so you can hear God speak to you because we have a tendency to fill every single space in our lives with something. I mean, you can fill it just with the amount of podcasts about the office. You know that, right? There's so many, you can fill every space with just that. That's very specific, I understand. But we have to cultivate this idea of silence in our life so that we can listen to God. If we don't communicate with God, God ceases to be a person and becomes an idea. And that leads to a lot of very strange things because falling in love with an idea leads to some weird stuff. If you love an idea rather than a person, you can treat other people poorly. You don't believe me? Go online and see the way people of faith communicate with other people of faith and people not of faith who don't believe in the same ideas that they believe in. Right? We allow ourselves to treat other people poorly because the God we believe in ceases to be a person and has become an abstract idea. God is not an idea. God is a, God is a being made human in the person of Jesus so that we could understand him more. When we forget this and God becomes a philosophical idea, we can do all sorts of things without the, the, without the thought to any consequence because ideas don't have consequences in the same way that people do. Because when God is an idea, people become ideas too. And when those people disagree with your ideas, they're just bad ideas to you and you treat them as less than. The problem with loving an idea is that if you love an idea, you can't change that idea, right? We actually believe in a God who morphs and changes according to who we are. Now, I know what you're going to say. Listen, Scripture says God doesn't change. I get that. His character never changes, but he has dealt with you differently throughout your life so that you might be able to understand him and know him more, right? If you're stuck to one interpretation of God and that will never change, you are not growing, 
People are different. I love all my children exactly the same. I do not treat them exactly the same because they are not exactly the same person or the same idea. They are human beings and they are crazy people. Right? And, and every one of them has their own special kind of crazy. And I recognize all of it because it comes from me. And the parts I don't understand are my wife's fault, I'm pretty sure. Right? We don't treat people all exactly the same. And this is why when we think of God as just an idea, we become very static in the way that we communicate with him. We become very static in the way that we think about him. In fact, we stop communicating with him. We often stop thinking about him. And so we need to recognize that God is not an idea. God is a being. And here's the last reason that we don't want to keep God as an idea. Because if you love an idea, chances are you like what you have to say about that idea even more than that idea. Now, I know that sounds like a confusing sentence, so let me break this down. Let me use an example. Let's take doctrine, right? I'm a fan of doctrine. I think doctrine's important. Right? Don't ever say that Pastor Tim doesn't understand the doctrine or, or is trying to minimize the doctrine. I like the things that we say about God. I think they're great. But God is not beholden to our doctrine. You understand that, right? God is bigger than our doctrine. Doctrine is good. We've got to come up with words to talk about God. I think God is like this. That's our making doctrinal statements. The Seventh-day Adventist Church has 28 fundamental belief statements about God that we believe, right? And so we say them. But those 28 fundamental beliefs do not encompass, encompass all of who God is. And it's very easy for us to go, man, I love those 28 or whatever, how, whatever faith tradition you come from, however many doctrinal statements you have or whatever. You can say, I love these things so much. That's great. I'm glad you love words. But you know who I love more than words? God. I love the God that those words speak about. When God is an idea, our ideas become very important to that idea. And in fact, the words that we use to talk about that idea sometimes become sacred and holy, and then they become something very different than they were intended to be. Hear me. I'm a fan of doctrine in its right place. But doctrine doesn't explain all of who God is. And doctrine isn't the ideas we have about God. Right or wrong, perfect language, imperfect language. We can't keep God as an idea. And I tell you what, prayer reminds us that we are submitting to and being lifted up by a living, breathing, communicating God. Not stale doctrine, not a dead God, not an idol, not someone that needs a, an interpreter between me and him, but someone who wants to listen to us. If you think of God as an idea, you stop talking to God. And what happens when you stop talking to God? It's the same thing that happens when you stop talking to your friends. We've all experienced this, right? You stop talking to a friend and then somewhere along the line you begin to question their integrity, integrity. And we do the same thing. We question God's integrity towards us when we stop talking to him. We no longer think that he has our best interest in mind. In fact, we might get to a very opposite place of that where we think that God might actually be trying to harm us or hurt us or is just waiting to judge us harshly because we don't have that intimate relationship. We, we cease to think the best of God. See, what happens is you assume God feels the same way about you that you have come to feel about God when you don't talk to him. When you... When you 
create so much space in between them, you question whether or not the foundational principles of who God is, that he loves us, that he has given us grace, you begin to question those and wonder if there's not something else going on in God's mind, if there's not something else, because that's how you think he's feeling about you and you have begun to feel about him as well. And what's the last thing that happens, man? We begin to turn inward for the solutions rather than turning to God for the solutions in our life for the pain, for the struggle, for the anxiety. We begin to turn to our own inward solutions and those have a tendency not to end well. Now, I want to be clear. I am not talking about mental health issues to which I think you need to go and get professional help when those things arise and there's, you know, God has gifted amazing people to help you through that. What I'm talking about is those places where we can find solace and help, where we can find grace in God. We begin to turn away from God for those solutions and lean into our own understandings. We stop looking for the answers that God may have provided and we begin looking for ways that we have to deal with everything. We lose community, we lose the Holy Spirit speaking into our lives, and we lose the idea that God wants to bless us in so many ways. But listen, I get it. Some of us have been faithful and faith-filled people for a long time, but our communication with God has grown stale. So how do we reimagine prayer in our lives? And the thing is, Scripture has told us how we should look at prayer. And it's ancient, but it can be new. And so I want to meditate on this just for a moment. And it's a text that you know well. It's a text that when I begin to say it, you're going to be like, oh yeah, oh this again, why is he back here? I'm back here because it holds an eternal truth. And it starts like this. It says, always be joyful. The reason why we can be joyful is that every time we open up our hearts, we open up our minds, and we open up our mouths to pray, God is excited about what we have to say, right? Every single time, he is not just excited, but anxious. He's leaning in to hear what it is that we have to say to him, and that is a joyful thing. That is exciting to know that you can gain access to God. Listen, you can't even gain access to your cable provider. Have you ever tried to call your cable company? There's nothing, like, I don't think you have to be Christian on that call. I think there's a moment where God says, do your worst because you've been on the phone for 45 minutes and now you're just angry and you finally get a human being and they go, hey, what can I help you with? As if you haven't been sitting on the phone for 45 minutes. And I'm like, oh, I'm revved up now and I'm ready to go. Listen, when you reach out to God, immediately God is ready and willing to listen. And then he says this, do it with joy and never stop doing it. So if we're going to reimagine prayer, the first thing we, is, is we have to think about is that we get to pray and we get to communicate with God. And secondly, we get to do it all the time. I don't know where your prayers begin and end, but I would argue that they need to be way longer than you, than you thought. Because to me, life is prayer. Living is prayer. We open up that, that line of communication and we don't stop it ever. We continue it. We, we wake up in the morning and we seek God. And all throughout the day, we are keeping that line of communication open. Amen doesn't mean you're done. Amen means that you agree with what God is telling you. 
And so you continue on. And then it says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Be thankful in all circumstances. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. You see, we can be thankful because we know God is there. He is listening anxiously. And God is also speaking to us. Prayer becomes rote, right? Prayer becomes a Prayer becomes a habit that sometimes we don't put so much thought into. Prayer becomes a perfunctory focus where we just do it. Oh, we're going to eat, we should pray. We're going to do this, we should pray. We're going to go to sleep, we should pray. And that's fine. But I think if we're going to reimagine prayer in this new reality of this new Christianity that we're talking about, I think it needs to be more. I think it needs to be overwhelming in our lives. I think it needs to be constant. I think it needs to be, as Scripture says, joyful, without ceasing, thankful. I think it should be the thing that lowers us down as we submit to who God is and lifts us up as we communicate directly with Him. I think it needs to be more than we have allowed it to be. I think we go in without expectation, but with hope. I think we, we speak knowing that God will respond. I think we find silence, and sometimes the silence will last much longer than the moments in which we communicate with God. And I think sometimes we will hear absolutely the things that we don't want to hear, and we'll have to deal with those as well. Because God is not a vending machine that has to respond to the way you push the buttons. That's something else. Prayer is not magic. But prayer is how we reach through everlasting. How we grab a hold of eternity and an eternal conversation that God has with us. Prayer is how we remember that God is alive and active in our lives. Prayer is how we are reminded that God is more than willing to not just be our best friend, but to be closer even than that. So I just have one question for you today. When was the last time you really prayed? I mean, really leaned into those conversations in ways that, in ways that are uncomfortable, in ways that seem to go on too long, in ways that you wonder if other people saw you, if they'd think you were different or strange or weird or... When was the last time you really prayed? Because as we move into this season of worship together, prayer's a huge part of it because it prepares you for what we do as we are in community and it propels you to the mission that God has for you to love well in every aspect of your life. So it seems only appropriate that we end a sermon on prayer with prayer. Let's bow our heads.
God, I can come before you and petition you for the things we want for this community and be a spokesperson for our hearts that are broken and breaking and healing all at the same time. I can enunciate the will of our hearts, maybe even do an admirable job in a, a competent conversation. But Lord, my heart doesn't know everything that's going on in this room, everything that's going on in every one of our hearts. So Lord, listen to those today. Not as directions for the way that you move, but as submissions of people who just want to be closer to you and just want to know your will in their lives. People who are willing to submit to what you have for them and are hopeful to be lifted up by the steps they take towards you. So Lord, not our will but yours. Not my voice but theirs. Know our hearts, open them wide, and speak loudly as we boldly go before the throne of grace. May you reignite a passion for prayer, that you may change the way we live and function in the world today. Lord, we pray these things in the only name worth mentioning the name of Jesus. Amen.